Thank you. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. Hey, I want to go ahead and make an announcement because I forgot in the early service this morning uh, that we were planning uh, the service this morning, this week, and said, Brandon, hey, get up and do the welcome, but make sure to highlight Disciple Now. And so this morning I got up and did the welcome and said hello and invited everyone to stand. And I went down and I looked and I said, you know what? I just forgot what I was supposed to do. So real quick, let me just take a moment to, um, if you're a student and you're in the 6th through the 12th grade, Disciple Now, we've got coming up what it is. It's a weekend dedicated to spiritual transformation. We're calling it Transformed Complete Change. And so from March 16th on Friday night to Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon after we're done with our morning service, uh, we're having a time where we get together for, for a worship gathering here at the church. Uh, Algernon Tennyson, he spoke at the MOVE conference that the students went on in December. He's coming to speak again here to the students during D-NOW. A guy named Benjamin Robin, uh, Robbins is a good friend of Algernon. He's coming to lead worship. And so we're going to gather here for worship uh, a few times during the weekend. And then we're going to go out to host homes. Uh, people in our church graciously opening their doors to a bunch of teenagers. God bless you for that, first off. But we're just going to go to the host homes and have a good time of Bible study and fellowship and learning what it means to be totally transformed and completely changed. Uh, and talking to Algernon and, uh, the other day and talking about the weekend and something that that the, even I forget and I know we tend to forget is that you know Christ didn't just come so that we would be nice, that we would be good people, but Christ came so that we would be totally and completely new, transformed, made different, made to look other than what we looked before and so I'm excited about that weekend that's coming up so if you're a student and you haven't signed up we got something that we're going to do today uh, we'll be in the back at the end of the service uh, I'll be back there my wife Jancy will, uh, will be with me back there and so if you're a student and you haven't signed up yet and you'd like to do that uh, it's $40 for the cost covers everything for the weekend and if you sign up today we'll put your name in a hat win a $25 uh, gift card to Wendy's so you know if you haven't signed up there's a little bit of incentive for that but really more incentive is, is to come and enjoy a weekend where we learn what it means to be spiritually transformed. So I just wanted to make sure that we took a moment to highlight that this morning. So if you're a grandparent or parent and you want to get your kids signed up, if you're a student and you want to do that, we'll be in the back at the end of the service to do that. Also in the back of the service or in the back of uh, the sanctuary uh, at the end of the service, Levi is going to be back there and he's going to have a little gift. And it's a coffee mug with some other little nice souvenirs or pen, a couple other things. I'm not sure what that box is down there, but it's a surprise, so you can get that later. But if you're a visitor and you'd like to uh, just come and meet our pastor and get to know him a little bit, he'll be at the back of the, um, the worship center at the end of the service as you exit, and he would love to shake your hand and get to know you. And so that's for all of our visitors that are gathering with us this morning. We just want to say thank you for choosing Concord to come and, and be your place of worship with us. At this time, would you stand, greet one another?
Isn't it good to be his friend this morning? Aren't you glad that he saves? He still saves. He's still touching lives. People like you and me. Come on, let's sing it this morning. Jesus, what a
Savior today, He's our friend. You're a merciful, loving God. Oh, Father, that's a little heaven practice in this place today. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. God, you are mighty to save in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives. Help us that, are, that have been bought and redeemed by your blood. Oh, Father, help us today to get excited about who you are and about what you desire in this place this morning. Help us to have submissive spirits to you and to know that you are mighty to save. Mighty to save.
You guys can be seated. What an awesome song. And how many of you believe the Lord is still saving? Amen? And uh, fired up about that this morning. I know many of you have probably already heard or seen on the news somewhere about a pastor over in Iran. He has remained faithful and steadfast in sharing the gospel. And he now is on trial for his life in that particular area. You know, it's interesting as we gather together today and sing about how Jesus is mighty to save, there are some people standing trial for their life because they were so bold in declaring the gospel. And this morning, we're going to pray for him. We're going to ask God's hand to be on him as he's reaching out with the gospel. But I'll tell you this, even if the man is put to death for his faith, uh, make no mistake about it, his testimony will not be silenced. He will continue to speak. And you know, the Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 that there are some who are dead, yet they still speak because their legacy is left. They've made such an impact in the lives of people. And man, we're going to pray for him this morning as we consider the fact that he is reaching out in that foreign land. But you know, our church family is called to reach out with the gospel too. Amen. God has given us that call and I'm excited about what the Lord's doing through our Sunday school ministry. One of our primary goals is to make our Sunday school ministry a reaching arm of this fellowship. So this morning we met together and I think there were about 20 or so people who were involved in training as future teachers within our Sunday school ministry. And we're excited about those 20 people being involved. And just to kind of give you perspective, right now we have 21 adult classes and we have 20 or so people being trained to start new classes. Do you know what that means? That means in a matter of of weeks, we could double our Sunday school uh, places, which is just phenomenal as we seek to reach out and make disciples everywhere. And so excited about what the Lord's doing through that ministry and excited as well about the contract, the opportunity we have with our association, Chattahoochee Baptist Association, is led by a phenomenal leader, Dr. Jojo Thomas. And Jojo is a member of our church, but they have agreed to partner with us over the next year where Jojo will actually spend time investing in our current adult Sunday school teachers and very excited about that. He's actually got a dedicated day that he's gonna give just to Concord and we're so excited about his service and his willingness to do that. And I know God's gonna use him in just an awesome way. And Jojo's here with us today. Jojo's in the back, stand up for us and y'all give it up for Jojo Thomas, all right? He's the man. But you know, it's all about gearing us to be more intentional with reaching out with the gospel. And listen, people are doing it all over the nations. And this morning, there's a man who's doing it in Iran, and he's standing on trial for his life. You and I can share Jesus with people and not be put to death. So what is stopping us? We should be as fervent, as bold, and I would even use the term audacious, uh, to get out and to share the good news of Jesus with those who need him. So we're going to pray for that pastor today, and we're also going to pray for our fellowship that we would focus our hearts on reaching people with the gospel. So let's bow together. Father, thank you for our time this morning to worship. And right now we lift up this pastor in Iran, standing trial for his life or his boldness. God, it's men like this that just fire me up, that will not flinch in the face of death. And God, I know that you know, that is not a power that he has mustered up in himself. That is a grace gift that you have given to him. And God, it's real easy to say we would stand until death, but reality is none of us can say that until we reach that moment. And then the only way we can stand is by your grace. So God, we give you glory. Thank you for 
infusing and gifting our brother and our ram with grace and helping him remain steadfast. And Father, even if he is put to death, may his blood be the fertilizer for new converts where the seed has already been planted. And God, we're gonna trust that his testimony would continue to move forward. And Lord, I know the enemy thinks he's got a foothold in that particular area, but it is amazing how you've taken one bold man of God in Iran and caused his story to go worldwide. And Father, as they read his story and they read about what's going on in that particular region of the Middle East, I pray in Jesus' name that they would read a firm statement to the gospel that you indeed have come to save sinners like us, transform our lives through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Father, thank you that when we trust in you, you completely change us and give us a new purpose for living, and that is to reach out. So Father, like this pastor in Iran, may we be bold here in this fellowship to reach out with the gospel. And Father, this morning, as our choir sings the next song, how you care for us. Help us, Lord, to consider this man in Iran and how you so deeply care for him, even in the midst of his situation. And Father, this morning, many people have come with cares. Thank you that the scripture says we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And we want to do that this morning. There's some heavy loads in here this morning. Lighten the load as we come before you. Thank you for caring for us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.
so much. Let's go ahead and bow our heads together if we can. Father, we're uh, grateful for our time together this morning. Awesome opportunity once again to study your word. And I want to pray now that you'd speak clearly to our hearts uh, through the scripture, challenging us to really make disciples everywhere. And Lord, I thank you for those who were visiting with us. And I want to pray that you would speak to them as well this morning, that you would be honored in every single thing that is done. And that is in your holy name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, listen, let me go ahead and get you to open up your Bibles with me, if you will, to Luke's gospel. You got a Bible here this morning? Say amen. Uh, Luke's gospel. We're going to look at chapter five. If you're visiting with us, we're going through a series entitled Astonished. And we've been looking verse by verse at Luke's gospel. And uh, if you were here last Sunday, you'll find that we actually are skipping some verses. And you're thinking, well, that's not verse by verse. Well, I preached on the other verses at the beginning of the year. So y'all give me a little grace, all right? So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, you've got that in front of you. Let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, the Bible says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi uh, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Verse 30. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's bow one more time. Father, thank you for your word. And once again, I pray you give me an unction from heaven to preach it uh, with clarity and that it would touch our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, whenever I was in college, I actually took a particular class, which was an elective class. It was an art class. And uh, please don't judge me. Are y'all listening? But I did take an art class because I heard that it would be an easy A. Can I get a witness on that one? But then I discovered that I actually enjoyed that particular art class and had a phenomenal time. I love seeing people who have a talent and intrigued by people who've just been given a gift that is unique. Now, I'm not a painter, uh, but I enjoy seeing people take that white canvas and make it come alive. In fact, Krista and I, we visited Austria, that is Vienna, Austria, on a a few years ago, and while we were there, we had the opportunity to see firsthand the collection of Pablo Picasso, and that was a rare treat. But my favorite painter, his name is Vincent Van Gogh. Anybody ever heard of him? You slip a hand up real quick. Good deal. You know, we're all lovers of art here in Claremont, but uh, very cultured. But uh, Vincent Van Gogh, I don't know what that was that I just said, but anyway, his style of painting was most unique uh, to me as something I really had ever witnessed before. I can almost always pick out his paintings just because of his unique style. And you may have heard of this painting. This is probably his most famous one. It's called Starry, Starry Night. Uh, all of you have seen that before. Say yes. And uh, awesome painting. But Van Gogh is not only a great painting, but the reason that he intrigues me is that his story is so unique. Listen, Van Gogh was the son of a Protestant pastor. He actually studied to go into the ministry. He quit his studies early. And what was wild is he became a lay pastor in Belgium. And while he was there, he had a great heart for the impoverished and the poor miners in that town. He focused his ministry upon reaching the outcast group of, among them, and he gave everything that he had to those poor people. However, the church that he was pastoring did not appreciate his love for the poor and actually dismissed him. They fired him from his pastorship. 
And not long after this rejection of the established church do we find Vincent van Gogh begins painting. And another one of his paintings that I wanted you to see that I thought was pretty unique is entitled The Church at Alvers. Now, if you look closely at the picture, you'll discover something uh, extremely interesting. Uh, notice there's a person in the bottom left-hand corner. He's walking beside the church. That is actually a peasant individual, a poor person. Uh, Van Gogh painted uh, peasants uh, throughout his life. Uh, Van Gogh was painting in this particular area a church. But if you look very closely at that church, you'll discover something interesting about it. And that is that there are no doors painted on the church. Do y'all see this? See, Vincent Van Gogh was painting what he had experienced. The church to him was not open to those who were in need. And you know, this picture could serve as a depiction of what was happening to those who were considered the religious elite of Jesus' day. They had built walls between themselves and others. They spent their lives trying to show everyone how righteous they were while snubbing their nose to those who didn't live the way that they did. Sadly, listen closely, look at that picture again, that can actually become a depiction of Concord Baptist Church if we're not careful. That likewise can become a depiction of our small group of Bible studies if we are not careful. To those who are outside of Christ, they look upon this fellowship. Question is, do they see doors? In fact, if we're not careful, that can actually become our attitudes as individuals. We can, as individuals, begin to look like that particular picture, living with no doors. So let me say it to you like this. If the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations, then we need to learn to be a church made up of individuals who reflect the heart of our scripture this morning. So what do we find? How do you and I as followers of Jesus really need to live in light of Jesus Christ's mission that we make disciples? And please look at a preacher eyeball to eyeball just very quickly. I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to say it a thousand and one. We do not come up with a mission for the church. Jesus gave us one. And that mission is to make disciples. So how are we to live in order to make disciples. Two ways. Number one, we must open our eyes to the rejected. We must open our eyes to the rejected. Notice verse 27, if you will, again in your Bible. Scripture says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, the word that I sat on for a moment this past week in my study is the word noticed. It means to look at. It's a term used in such a manner to describe the act of almost taking a picture of an event or a person. It speaks about an intentional look. It is a gaze. Jesus' eyes were open. Now, in this text, we're introduced to an individual whose name is Levi, which sounds familiar to me. Because <laughs> that is my name. I thought I was hilarious, man. But anyway, so uh, you'll hear me say Levi several times. I ain't talking about myself. I'm talking about this dude in the scripture. Y'all with me? All right. So we're introduced to him. And as we have opportunity to get to know Levi in this text, let's make a couple of observations. First of all, we see the profession of Levi. Levi was a tax collector. That is, he was a Jewish man who was hired by Rome to exact taxes upon his fellow countrymen. 
It was because of Levi's profession that he actually experienced, secondly, a rejection, a societal rejection. We see the rejection of Levi in this text as well. But listen closely. In his book, 12 Ordinary Men, John MacArthur writes, uh, Levi was a tax collector, a publican when Jesus called him. Tax collectors were the most despised people in Israel. They were hated and vilified by all of Jewish society. They were more worthy of scorn than the occupying Roman soldiers. Tax collectors were men who had bought tax franchises from the Roman emperor and then exhorted, uh, extorted money from the people of Israel to feed the Roman coffers and to pad their own pockets. They were often known to strong arm money out of people with the use of thugs. Most were despicable, they were vile, and they were unprincipled scoundrels, end quote. Now, this man, Levi, was a hated man by all of Jewish society. He is likewise hated by Pharisees and scribes. He's considered one of the worst enemies of Jewish life. In fact, the very term tax collector became synonymous with dishonesty and abuse of authority. And the profession experienced such rejection that even the Roman elite they avoided this job because of the great societal stigma that was attached to it. I mean, they were tax collectors. And let's just get real, right? How many of us really love tax collectors? Can I get a witness on that? Point made. Y'all listening? That's pretty good. Now, it was in the context of Jesus and the crowd of others following Jesus that they came upon this man, Levi, sitting in his tax booth. And you can see many people, what they're doing is they're turning their eyes away from the man. They don't want to make eye contact with Levi for fear that if they saw him eyeball to eyeball, that perhaps they would be squeezed of their last penny. However, Jesus took notice of this hated, reviled, and rejected man. He zeroed his attention in on the individual, and then we see the invitation of Levi. He uttered two words, Jesus did, which would have stunned the crowds that were around him. Notice what he says. He says it very plainly, follow me. Now, this was an imperative command of Jesus. The term is in such a vernacular as to encourage Levi to a continual action in his life. Jesus was saying this, keep on following me. So it denotes Jesus calling Levi to a surrendered life in which he breaks ties with his former way of living. And listen very closely. Jesus continues to call people like this today. And when the Lord Jesus Christ calls you into a relationship with him, he doesn't say, follow me on Sunday. But instead, he encourages you to keep on following him at all times. And when you genuinely make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what? You actually give up your old way of thinking and your old way of living. That's what Levi did. Notice how he responded in verse 28. The Bible says, and he left everything behind, and he got up and began to follow him. Notice again, Levi, he left everything behind. It speaks to the fact that Levi left his life of dishonesty, his life of fraud and abuse of authority. In this case also, Levi left his own job to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the people who despised this with the greatest intensity were the religious people of Jesus Christ's day. Have you ever noted that when the Lord Jesus begins the work in the midst of a group, that those who usually get ill are the religious type? That's how it was during the day of Jesus. In fact, later on in Levi's house, they pipe up and ask him in verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And notice the pious attitude of those who were questioning, why do you hang out with those people who steal and defraud others? So they're looking at Jesus and his disciples and they're saying, why are you spending your time with a bunch of people who completely miss the mark when it comes to righteous living? 
Then notice Jesus' response, verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So think about the obvious part of Jesus' response. Those who are well do not drive themselves to the doctor, right? Of course not. They are well. They don't need a doctor. However, those who are sick, they look for a doctor. They need a doctor. You know, Jesus is saying those who are righteous don't need a spiritual doctor. However, those who are sinners, they're the ones who need a doctor. Now, it's interesting that the Bible says this. Jesus is saying those who are righteous don't need a doctor. But the scripture says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. So, the Bible also declares to us, the only person who's considered the righteous one in the Bible is Jesus. So, we have in this text where Jesus says, I'm not coming to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But is Jesus confused? I mean, does he not realize that there's no one righteous, no, not one? Or is Jesus making a point? I'm going to say he's making a point. What is the real problem of the religious people in Jesus' day? Listen closely. They were sick, but they didn't know it. Jesus did not come for people who think they are well. He came to those who realize they are sick. And look, that's why when someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ shared today, and they sit there and they say to themselves, you know, I'm not all that bad of a person. I don't know whether or not I really need to do this. I'm I'm a pretty good person. Listen, that attitude will never meet Jesus. Because that attitude thinks there is no spiritual sickness. And Jesus doesn't call those who think they are well. He calls those who are sick. You see what Jesus is really saying in this text, and I love it, is this. Those you thought Remember, he's talking to religious folk, right? He says, those that you thought were outside the boundaries of a friendship with God, yeah, those are the ones that I came for. (laughs) Jesus has his eyes open to those who are rejected. Now, everybody put your thinking cap on. I want you to use your brain in this particular moment, all right? Are you all ready? Say yes. Use your brain here. Think with me for a moment. The Bible tells you and I that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Let me ask you all again, who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Now, during the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, what was he involved in doing? He was involved in reaching out to those who were outside of faith. So if Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, spent his life and ministry reaching out to those who are outside of the faith, the Bible teaches that you and I are a part of the body of believers. We are a body together locally, and Jesus is our head. So if Jesus is concentrated on reaching those outside of the faith, it only makes logical sense that the body would be doing what the head is doing. So did y'all know that your head actually leads you? When your head says go one direction, your whole body follows. So if the head, Jesus, is reaching out, to those who are outside of the faith, guess what the whole body ought to be doing? Reaching out. So what does this mean? This means that when you and I are properly connected to the head who is Jesus, we begin to have his thoughts, his attitude, his heartbeat. You know, it's interesting. Krista and I, we've been married now uh, for 12 years. Y'all listening? Amen? God bless me that I remember that. Thank you, Lord. That was like a word of knowledge. But anyway, so... uh, that's it, 12. We got year married in 2000, so I can remember, all right? 2012, that is what year we're in, right? So 12 years. But it's wild. Krista and I 
can, in this moment in our life, literally look at one another and know exactly what we're thinking. Have y'all noticed this? Some of y'all who are married, if you haven't, pretend that you had, you're going to be in trouble, all right? But you can say things and finish each other's sentences. It's because you hang out with one another and you begin to think like them and even talk like them. Same thing with Jesus. When we hang out with Jesus, we get to know the head of the church. We get his heartbeat, his attitudes, his desires. And all of a sudden, we become desirous to reach out to those who are outside of the faith. That's what Jesus was up to. Now, a church uh, will die if it doesn't do this. So guess what? We need to do this. Can I get a witness on that one? We need to have eyes peeled for those who are without the Lord. You know, I've actually had people come to me in the past and say, you know what, Levi, I know this old boy that I work with, but man, I'm telling you, he is one sorry rascal. There's no way in the world he'll get saved. Those are my favorite kind. Are y'all listening? My favorite kind. Why is that, Levi? Because those are the ones Jesus came for. Those who are sick, who need to be saved. And you know, you may be in the building today, and you know what? You're a rascal, aren't you? You're lost without God, scoundrel. You're defrauding people just like this tax collector, lying to people just like this tax collector. You're involved. Your whole life is involved. It's just one big scheme. Guess what? Jesus came for you. And what's wild is Jesus, if he were here physically in the body, he could walk around in these aisles. He'd be looking at you. You say, hey, follow me. Keep on following me. That's what Jesus does. And listen, that's what you and I need to be involved in doing. Looking for those who are outside of the faith and encouraging them to keep on following the Lord Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? So we open up our eyes to those who are considered rejected. Then secondly, we must open up our homes to the rejected. Must open up our homes. Notice verse 29 in your Bible. Scripture says, And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. There was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Now the first thing Levi did after responding to the call of Jesus to follow him was to have him over to his house for a huge reception. It's the idea of having a feast or a banquet for someone. And I love what this scripture tells us about the feast. There were a great crowd of those who were tax collectors just like Levi in the house. And you see, Levi realized something. He realized that if Jesus would accept him, then Jesus would also accept people who were like him. <laughs> and when you're changed by Jesus Christ, you want all your friends to know. Uh, Levi brought all of the hoodlums that he used to hang out with to his house and basically said, I want you to meet a man named Jesus. In my word, Jesus was there, and Levi was throwing a party with a purpose. And the purpose was to share Christ. Levi's house, listen, turned into a house of restoration when Jesus came in. And I want you to know that you as well can throw a party at your house, and you can invite Jesus. Jesus will turn your house into a house of restoration if you will allow him could you imagine if a couple of followers of Jesus Christ got serious from our fellowship and decided to invite those who were lost from their neighborhood over for a get-together? And in the course of the meal, you began to share how Jesus Christ has changed your life, and you share with them how Jesus can change their life. Levi, this notorious sinner, man, he'd invite folks over to introduce them to Jesus. Surely we can do that. 
So there you have the picture of Jesus hanging out with those who were the debased, rejected, and despised people of his day, according to the religious elite, right in the house of a tax collector turned disciple. Levi opened up his home to the rejected. His goal was for everyone to just meet the Lord Jesus. Now, after studying this passage of scripture and sitting back in my chair, I thought to myself, Lord, what do we need to do as a church? And you may be sitting out there asking in your own heart, well, preacher, what are you saying that we need to do? Uh, here's what I think we need to do. Is everybody listening? Here's what I think we need to do. I think we need to invite unchurched people who do not know Jesus over to our house for dinner. Y'all out there? That's my verbal pause. I'm trying to get rid of it. But y'all out there? Look closely at me. Eyeball to eyeball. What is the challenge coming from the pulpit of Concord this morning? Here's the challenge. I give you March. Month of March, your challenge is to invite an unchurched, irreligious individual who doesn't know Jesus personally over to your house for a meal you take the opportunity to share with that individual how Jesus has changed your life, share the gospel with them. <laughs> it is amazing how in the context of church life, we read stories in the scripture which are truth, and we see what's going on here, and we're like, that is awesome, man. But then, when we're challenged to do the same thing, we're like, I don't know about all that. It would be a radical reality if our fellowship decided to actually follow Jesus and do what they did when Jesus was around. Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't it be wild if we actually did what Jesus did? So here's the deal. You need to get to know some people who don't know Christ. Have them over to your house. Got March. Krista and I have already talked about this. Krista's my wife. Already got some people that we want to invite over to our house for uh, dinner. In fact, some of them are here today. Let me go ahead and introduce you. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so uh, going to invite them over to the house for dinner. And listen, this is, uh, you're like, man, that makes me uncomfortable. Good. The problem is we get comfortable. And about the time you get comfortable is about the time you start dying. So let's, be a, let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You got March. <laughs> if you ain't done it by March end, we're going to hurt you. I always thought what, it would just be wild, wouldn't it? If everybody got serious about this, and I believe many of you are, you invite somebody over to your house in March, and then all of a sudden you start bringing people to church who you led to Jesus in your house. See, the thing is, that really ain't your house. It's the Lord's house. God gave it to you as a ministry tool. See, you thought it, you was all decorated for yourself, didn't you? No, no, no. God gave that to you to use, to be hospitable to people so that you can share the good news of Jesus. I just mentioned a house. Did y'all hear that? This is wild. Good news. Friday, I sold the Lord's house. That, that's awesome, isn't it? If y'all don't know, man, I've had another house in Powder Springs that's been rented, and I've just been praying, Lord, please let them pay the rent on time. 
and they have, and then they bought the house. So we got rid of that house in Powder Springs. Awesome news too, Brandon Roney, who's in Alabama, only been here for a little while, a few weeks. They got a contract on their house in eclectic Alabama. So we're fired up about that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, something else pretty cool. Randy, who's also from Alabama and on staff now, guess what? He's buying a house tomorrow. Amen, right? Anybody else want to share about their home? God bless you. You know, I really wanted to do something. I wanted to kind of give you a test that I gave myself about whether or not we were sensitive to those who are lost, whether or not we really are geared up and following Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you this true-false test, and you answer it just in your heart, or you can jot it down there on your bulletin, or if you've got the Bible app, you can jot it down there as well. But I want to encourage you big time this morning to answer these truthfully, not trying to make you feel bad about where you are, but just want you to take a sober assessment of how geared up you are with being a witness for Christ. So here we go, true or false, number one, I periodically have waves of empathy for those who are lost. True or false? Number two, I have two or three friendships with those who are not Christian. Uh, number three, true or false, I have had two or more non-church people within my home over the past two months. Uh, true or false? Number four, I intentionally build relationships with those outside of Christ by doing activities with them, such as recreation, hobbies, shopping, etc. Number five, I have invited someone to church in the last two or three weeks. True or false, number six, I have shared my testimony with an irreligious person in the last month. True or false, number seven, I have shared the gospel with someone in the last month. Last one, true or false, I regularly pray for lost people by name. How did you do on that true or false little test? And listen, the goal is not to make you feel bad about yourself or to put you on a guilt trip. I don't want you to kick yourself and just say you're a failure. But what I do want you to do is look and assess where you are spiritually in making disciples, being a part of the mission of the New Testament church and what Jesus has called us to do. And are you intentional about it? Listen, I would kind of do it like this. If we can put that picture up one more time of uh, that church. Let me ask you, all right? I'm going to ask you the question about the picture. Do you want people to pass by Concord and see a church with no doors? Let me ask you again, and y'all uh, answer me out loud. Do you want uh, people to drive past Concord and see a church that looks like that? Not at all. If that is the case, then that means our fellowship has to be made up of individuals who don't look like that. Open doors. Living, looking, open eyes to those who need the Lord, opening even our homes to those who need the Lord. That's your challenge. It's a hard one, but get after it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning.